Today's Plugged In podcast is sponsored by Volvo. Get ready to recharge this summer with Volvo's first pure electric SUV. The XC40 Recharge has no tailpipe emissions, yet delivers more than 400 horsepower and up to 335 kilometers on a single charge. And with integrated Google OS, stay connected on any journey, even without your phone. Enjoy an SUV designed for you and the world we share. Visit volvocars.ca to learn more. latest episode of Plugged In, a post-media podcast taking you down Canada's electric vehicle highway. I'm your host, Andrew McCready. My guest today is no stranger to the show, and as with his past appearances, expect the opinions and observations he'll share to challenge your perceptions of where we're at with the EV revolution. David Booth is a senior writer with Post Media Driving, and his weekly motormouth column on driving.ca pulls no punches with its analysis and criticisms of all aspects of the automotive industry. The electrification of the automobile and all that entails has been a popular subject matter for David in the past couple of years. And while he still harbors a sense of healthy skepticism about the viability of EVs replacing internal combustion engine vehicles, he isn't averse to praising many aspects of electric powertrain technology. To that end, he recently launched a new column aimed at separating fact from fiction when it comes to how far an electric vehicle can go on a full charge. Called Rangefinder, it provides a unique real-world test on the highway range of specific electric vehicle models. Well, it's really great to have you back on the show, David. I'm glad to be back, uh, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Since we've last spoken, which I think was in Season 3, it's been a while, but you've come upon a really great column idea. You've done about half a dozen of them for post-media driving, driving.ca, and this is called the Rangefinder. First of all, tell us what Rangefinder is. I used to do some testing on comparing gas-powered vehicles' fuel economy to their EPA and Transport Canada ratings, finding how realistic the claims by the manufacturers were. There was quite a diversity, in fact, and a, a widespread from the rated fuel economies. Now, of course, efficiency isn't the biggest thing about, about EVs. It's the range. And range is really very important on the highway. So what I've done is I haven't done any range experiments on in the city. My thought is that if a car has 400 kilometers of range and that's what it claims, the fact that it might only get 350 in the city is not of much inconvenience. Very, very, very few people are going to exceed that you know, mileage or range in one day in the city. On the other hand, if we are to make EVs more palatable to uh, long-distance warriors like myself for all uses of car, we need to be able to use them on the highway. How far can they go and how quick can they recharge? So what I'm doing is I, it's very simple. It's, uh, I try to eliminate as many variables as possible, being uh, a good ex-engineer. 
But basically, I take them out to the same road, Ontario's 407. It's a toll road. It's a little less policed uh, than uh, most of our other roads, and it's also empty, which means my I can hold a steady speed without uh, hitting traffic. I basically go up one direction until the highway ends. I turn around and go exactly the other direction, all the while my... Um, Cruise control is set at a uh, steady 125, which is close to the median speed we hold in, uh, in, uh, in highway traffic here in Ontario. And then I just uh, measure the mileage and see how many kilometers I can get out of one uh, battery that's been charged to 100%. So in total, what is the distance you cover? It depends on the car very much. Um, though not not quite as surprising as you might think. Uh, the least I cover is I, I try not to run out of battery, but I generally drive more than 300. I have driven close to 400 in one vehicle, which we'll get to later. Uh, but uh, what I do is I, I cross-reference all my information. I, I don't just take the predicted range on the, on the meter into question. You know, like every EV has, you know, when its battery is charged 100%, it will give you a readout on how much, how many kilometers it expects to attain on that battery charge. But I correlate the consumption figures. I co- correlate the uh, percentage figures and then the actual odometer readings. So, for instance, rather than rely on the predicted range, one of the best indicators is to get a battery to 100, run it to zero at 125, and then check out the uh, the odometer reading difference between uh, when you set off and simply double it. That's a very good estimation. And most vehicles, except the Tesla, are pretty spot on when you just double it from that. You, uh, I do try to get it much closer to zero um, to make sure that there's no uh, fooling with the battery percentages. But again, I always cross-reference and cross-check odometer readings with predicted with actual battery depletion. Clearly, you're driving 125 kilometers an hour. This isn't hypermiling by any means. This is not trying to go as far as possible. I assume you're not using regen braking. You're not kind of actively involved in trying to eke the most out of the battery pack. You're driving it, for want of a better way to put it, like a gasoline car and seeing how it behaves. Well, my contention is that any new technology has to be able to completely replace the technology it's taking over from. If early adopters are hypermiling and driving at their, you know, their 800 horsepower Teslas at 90 kilometers on a highway, an hour at the highways uh, to conserve range, that's just not how the average person is going to drive. I think the most important thing is to see how they can compare unexpected use by current consumers. And so uh, I chose 125 simply because, well, that's the speed I travel on the highway. You could argue that 121 or 122 might be the median in, in Ontario, but it's the, the median in Ontario, I'm not sure what it is in BC, is not 112. You drive 112 on the 401 to 407, and 96% of cars are going to pass you. And brake regen doesn't work on the highway. I mean, how you can't use, you know, you basically set, whether you're at 180 or 125, you basically set cruise control at a certain speed. You don't touch the brakes unless you run into traffic, which is, again, why I chose the 407. When you did the gasoline kind of similar idea, not a range finder, but a, a fuel economy finder, I guess, would you travel at 125? Was that the... Exactly the same. And for just a little context, 
there was a wide variety. So in general, on the highway, diesel engines were the best at maintaining whatever their EPA and NRCAN rated fuel economies were. So uh, typically, you know, if a, if a diesel Jetta promised 5.6, it would deliver 5.8 at 125. They were, in terms of meeting their stated ranges, our stated fuel economies, the diesels were the best. Next up were the um, hybrids. They usually got within 20%. The turbos were the best. And frankly, Ford's EcoBoost turbos were the worst. They were so obviously tailored to the previous regimes, uh, the EPA's previous testing, the two-stage testing that, you know, tested uh, highway fuel economy at 90 or 100 kilometers at most, an hour at most. And they obviously calibrated the turbos not to be working at that speed. But as soon as they got up to 120, they were sucking back gas big time. Ford's EcoBoosts were the worst at this. They were typically about, uh, used about in real life, about 50% more fuel than they were rated for. Let's talk specific. As I mentioned at the top here, you have uh, driven a number of vehicles under the rangefinder guys. So the first one was kind of cool because it was a head-to-head thing. It was uh, the Porsche Taycan against the Tesla Model S. So that was the only kind of head-to-head one you've done so far. What did you discover in that test? Well, uh, a bunch of stuff, actually. I mean, if you if if you remember... Uh, the I believe the uh, Tesla Model 100D was a 219 was rated at 539, and I believe the at the time uh, the Porsche one uh, changes every six months because they're updating with such frequency. But at the time, I believe the Porsche 4S Taycan 4S was rated at 324. So there was a huge difference there. Uh, yeah. Huge. In actual fact, and they really did travel side by side the whole time. Um, so the, you drove one and someone else drove the other. In fact, um, um, our other contributor, Nadine Filion. Right. And, and eventually, the, um, the Porsche actually exceeded its rated range. It was rated, again, I think 324. It delivered, I know, 342. The Tesla was rated at 539, I believe, and it delivered exactly 355. And my first thing was a more than 200 kilometer range difference, which is the difference in their claimed range, is a reason to buy one vehicle over another, which, and knowing all the Tesla forums, they were boasting about it all the time. The actual difference was 13 kilometers. uh, Tesla only exceeded the uh, Porsche's uh, range by 13 kilometers in actual use, that's not enough of a reason to choose a Tesla over a Porsche. Maybe prices, because the Porsche is more expensive, but the expected or the much Bollywood Tesla superiority in range, I did not see any of it uh, in my highway tests at all. None whatsoever. So so how do you account for that? That's, that's not 5%. That's not 10%. That's a 30%. The interesting thing is, is, I mean, and before I go on, and unfortunately... This is me poo-pooing Tesla again. It seems like a constant theme. But as I mentioned before, I try to correlate my numbers. There's about three ways to calculate your range, you know, by using different portions of the numbers. Like I said, the battery percentage versus the odometer. You can then compare that to the stated kilowatt hours per 100 kilometers being consumed at any time. All of that kind of stuff. 
um, you can go back and forth. What was interesting to me is the Porsche numbers always added up. The Tesla numbers never added up. Like, you know, what they were claiming to consume never correlated to how much I would calculate they were consuming by looking at the battery percentage and the odometer readings. It was completely phantasmagorical. And in fact, it continued to be till about 50 or 60 or 70 kilometers before the end when the range just uh, predicted range just started dropping like a like a stone so i, I suspect a lot of uh, tesla owners who you know just go by the predicted range really think their cars can go further than they are because they're watching that and, and if they actually tried to go to zero they'd find out how quickly the last 100 kilometers disappear one of the things that i concluded i'm concluding out of this because it's a bigger trend for all the cars that I've tested so far, save one, is that the difference in efficiencies of electric cars are probably most seen, you know, various brands, various technologies uh, are most actually seen in city driving, superior regen, braking activities, that kind of thing. On the highway, it's just a battery and an electric motor. And unlike, again, uh, say a small four-cylinder and a V12 where there's a huge difference in fuel efficiency no matter how much power they're putting out because one has a lot more friction and a bunch of other stuff than the other. In the case of the various types of electric motors, there's not really nearly as much difference. One of the things um, except for of the larger vehicles that I've driven, except for the uh, Mustang Mach-E, which was an SUV, it was the only SUV I was tested so far, all of the consumption at um, at uh, 125 was between 23 and 24 kilowatt hours per 100 kilometers. There wasn't a lot of difference in, in vehicles. It's right there in the numbers. There just wasn't that much. Uh, again, it would be sort of like an Audi V8 twin turbo getting the same gas mileage as the four-cylinder version of the of the car. It was that surprising in that, you know, permanent magnet, uh, electrically excited magnet uh, motors, uh, all that kind of thing, asynchronous. Um, there's not as much difference as we're led to believe. And the same is to do with battery technology, uh, I, would, I would guess. That's my conclusion. And that's certainly borne out by the numbers that I get. Because again, you got to remember, once you're closing at 125, it's just pure efficiency of transmission of electric en energy from battery to motor. There's no way, uh, and then of course, aerodynamics. There's no way to play with softwares and stuff like that about re-brake regeneration and throttle tip-in because you're just on a steady state throttle more or less. So, uh, you know, it's pure, purely down to the efficiency of the motors. And there just doesn't seem to be that much difference between types and brands of electric motors. That's a fascinating discovery, right? Because I mean, we, we kind of have intuitively thought, as you say, between a V12 and a, and a small four cylinder, there's going to be, there, there obviously is vast difference, but this is a whole different way of looking at it. So I think it's more down to the battery pack relative to the weight of the vehicle. And as you say, the aerodynamics, that's where you can glean more efficiencies. Yeah, you can play with the aerodynamics. I'm told the tire size makes a huge difference. It's, it's all rolling and aerodynamic resistance. Saying that, you know, if somebody claimed that, oh, no, no, my electric vehicle gets, you know, way better uh, range and energy consumption than another brand's uh, electric vehicle, and it's all down to uh, electric motor efficiency, at least currently, I'd be very suspicious. 
So another vehicle you just mentioned, the uh, the Ford 2021 Ford Mustang Mach-E was one you took out. So what was what did you find out with that one? Well, again, I mean, it, it was, uh, again, remembering that in all my testing, um, all every Porsche, I think I've done three Porsches now, everyone has either met or exceeded the amount of range that its readout predicts, every single one. The Tesla was off by like 200 kilometers, okay? So a wide variety there. The the Mustang was somewhere in between. Uh, it promises 435 according to the EPA, but it got 332. Um, let's remember that even though they are, uh, and it, this brings up another anomaly, uh, they're, uh, Ford, unlike other manufacturers, uh, rates its batteries by the usable amount of 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 energy involved for the ford it's 88 kilowatt hours now the battery is actually bigger than that it's 93.7 it's big it's it's a uh, no it's uh it's actually 98.7 okay right. so they hold uh in 10.7 kilowatt hours in reserve porsche does the very same thing the, the battery actually holds 93.4 and um and uh, it holds, uh, it uses 83.7. So, the, uh, you know, the numbers are, are all very similar despite, you know, the ratings and the, uh, the battery charge. So it, it promised 435. It got uh, 332, which, you know, uh, again, people are comparing it negatively to the various Tesla products. But my model, my Model S100D got 355. This the the Mach E got three thirty two. That's a difference of twenty three kilometers. Um, you know, um, yeah. that's not enough reason for me, at least, to choose one brand over another. Now, there's maybe some other reasons to choose a Tesla mm-hmm. over a Ford Mach E, but I can certainly attest that the range uh, allowed by one battery charge at one hundred twenty five kilometers an hour is not one of them. So um, just just thinking your talk about how, you know, the the usable amount is not the same as the full amount. Would that be one of the would that be um, kind of part of the package where if you get over the air upgrades and they're going to say, hey, we're going to give you more battery juice, which I think Audi just announced for some of their 2020s and 2021s. um, Is that the wiggle room there or is that too simplistic to think about it? I do know that, for instance, the um I'm, and we'll go to that if you want to talk again about the cross turismo i just did uh, part of those updates are to do with heat management the areas where they can improve stuff is heat management between battery and motor and what the porsche according to porsche what they do is they have a heat pump in there and the idea is to get to an optimal amount of heat so if the if the battery's too cool and the motor is running too hot, they want to pump heat from the um, uh, from the in uh, from the motor, the electric motor, to the battery to keep them cool. That all said, yes, there's no doubt that none of them will officially say so, but there's absolutely no doubt that, for instance, Porsche and Ford are much more conservative than Tesla. I'll get to that in a sec. They're holding between eight and a half and 10 kilowatt hours in reserve. Could they, especially Ford, it's the larger of the two, could they say run seven or six kilowatt hours in reserve to, you know, for battery life and get a, eke a few more kilometers out. But again, that's that the most that's getting you is 10 or 20 more kilometers. There's no 50 or a hundred kilometer just by playing battery capacity. One thing I will say, and, and again, 
Lord, forgive me, you're going to get uh, notifications from um, angry letters from the uh, from the Tesla crowd. But the Tesla people are the only people that will not give you any number for how much battery they hold in reserve. And it's not because they're continuously updating it. It's because they just won't tell you. And in fact, I mean, amongst the Teslarati, there's all manner of rumors that you can get to 100% of the battery and actually use 100% if you do this override and that override. There's a bunch of guys that have taken apart the batteries and counted the cells and come up with the conclusion that the reason why the 100 kilowatt hour Tesla is superior to all other vehicles. It actually actually has 104.5 kilowatt hours and uh, Elon Musk just threw in the extra four and a half as a bonus. I, I you know, I, I, I can't make this stuff up, Andrew. I'm sorry, uh, but it's it's just true. Tesla will, gives you no figures on what they actually use. Um, Mr. Musk off, often says things like you shouldn't use 100%, but then that doesn't clearly define how much you should use or how you could access all of it or anything else. All of the other manufacturers that I know of have a definitive hard stop how much they allow the customer to use so that it never turns into a brick. Um, I can't say any more than that. All right. Let's move on from Tesla for just a second. Uh, 2021 Volkswagen ID4. You were very fortunate and uh, underscores your well-connected nature in that you were the first Canadian journalist to get your hands on this car, which is uh, very, very popular in terms of pre-sales. So I'm curious. How about that one? The ID4 that were, that I tested and not the one they expect to be uh, popular here was a rear-wheel drive only. And now that contrasts to most, almost, in fact, I think all of the two-wheel drive EVs currently in the market are, uh, you know, of the ones under $45,000 are front-wheel drive. It's a rear-wheel drive model. It has 201 horsepower and it has a, a 82 kilowatt hour battery. Uh, of which, again, 77 are usable. It did quite well on the rangefinder aspect. Uh, it, uh, that 77 kilowatt hour battery was uh, good for 325 kilometers, which comes out to about 23.7 kilowatt hours per 100 kilometer, uh, kilometers. Now that, again, is a little bit below the 24 to 26 I saw on the larger vehicles, but is, is if you're following along with the trend, not as much of a difference as you would see a gasoline-powered Porsche Panamera and a Volkswagen Jetta. It was smaller. Now in town, it it did it did uh, it did quite well. It was around 18, 17.8, I think. And um, and uh, you know, there the size, the small size, the less energy required to accelerate it, and everything else was was quite good. All right. right. That being said. It's not a light vehicle. Uh, I know. Uh, I just happened to find the specification. It's an 82 kilowatt hour battery, which is smaller than any of the ones that were were are on those other vehicles, um, and it weighs 493 kilograms. But just the battery. That's about 1,100 pounds. That's you know. I mean that that makes the battery in a Tesla weigh 13 or 1,400 pounds. That's yeah. a lot of weight. I mean, right. the energy density is is probably the weak point of of uh, electric batteries going forward. You know how big they have to be to get enough energy to get that range. You know they're just huge. They're just huge. But the the ID four also will come in a in a two motor variety, 
and it will have, I think, 302 horsepower. The, the motor in the front will be smaller. Uh, it'll be quite sporty, hopefully, because th this one handled really well. And officially, the range on the single motor is 400 kilometers. So, and the other one is uh, the two wheel drive, four wheel drive is 350 kilometers. So, I'd expect it 125 kilometers an hour to get 300 kilometers of it, roughly, I'd say. Same battery pack, right? Same battery pack, 82 kilowatts with 70. Yeah, you know, I mean, um, the, the one caveat I, I do in all of this is that, you know, people might be uh, listening to this that don't know EVs, might be a little bit encouraged. So let's let's even take the, the best, one of the best cars I've done. I just I mentioned before, I did the Cross Turismo. That's the station wagon version of the Taycan. And it's got the same powertrain, but it's had those updates. And I think I got 382 kilometers on that one. And, you know, you're thinking, well, geez, that's three hours at 120 kilometers an hour. That sounds like a bit of range. And then you read the news that you can charge it, I think, in 22 minutes. It doesn't sound that bad. Three hours driving, 22 minutes, the recharge time. It sounds almost bearable. You know, it really does. Uh, unfortunately, the problem is, is that 22 minute charging gets you 75 or three quarters percent of a battery charge. It's from eight, five to 80 percent. So the next time you go out, you're good for uh, three quarters of uh, of 380 is, you know, just 270 or two uh, or so. And basically you're going now you're driving only the second time you charge. If you got a long trip, you're stopping 22 minutes every two hours and a bit, which starts to get a bit annoying. So in talking about the idea that obviously you have to stop to recharge these vehicles, which, as you said at the top of this, that your whole idea with Rangefinder is to go head to head with gasoline cars in the sense that what is the user friendliness of these cars? And obviously, if you're stopping that often and have to wait that long to recharge, it's not refueling. A great half step in the EV world is, of course, uh, plug in hybrids. And, and you did one of the better ones. Um, so I just want to get your thoughts on that. That's the 2021 Toyota RAV4 Prime. So obviously different parameters. You're not running only on EV, but what did you discover with that one? Oh, well, first off, I just love PHEVs in general. I like as a good compromise. Uh, I really like the RAV4 Prime. It's got 302 horsepower. It's the fastest vehicle in Toyota's lineup other than the Supra, which is made by BMW. In, uh, I t I've tested it now both in winter and summer, highway, city, the whole bit. Basically, in the winter, it'll give you a minimum 50 kilometers um, of range on electric only. Uh, in the summer, you can get as much as 70, but certainly no less than, say, 63 or 64, uh, which is most plenty enough for even me who drives quite a bit in the city. And then when it's all over, if you're driving on a long distance, it's uh, six uh, liters per hundred kilometers. So it's a really great compromise. In fact, the only time that I found that it was not, you know, ideal is in those rare circumstances where, say I was driving for 65 kilometers in the winter. So my electric uh, power ran out at 50 kilometers. The last 15 kilometers, instead of being at six liters per hundred kilometers, uh, was actually much worse, maybe at 15 or 16 because the gasoline engine had to warm up uh, uh, to get to operating temperature like any gas engine does to start up. Now, if I had driven it, you know, just 
driven it 400 kilometers, I would have never noticed that. It would have worked out in the averages. But if you were always at a 65 um, kilometer commute with, with the RAV4, yeah, those 15 kilometers of, of gas um, uh, of gas use would be disproportionately heavy. But that's the biggest weakness I can find with the vehicle. Otherwise, you know, it's just bloody wonderful. So, so the 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 uh, the difference in the summer and winter uh, heat, obviously, you had the heat on in the vehicle. So, would that have accounted for some of that? Some of that. I mean, it's it's tough to say. It's like electric, uh, uh, pure battery electrics. And again, uh, going back to my testing on on, on rangefinder, I try to keep, I try not to test the battery electrics below about. Ideally, I'm below 10, but I think I've done one at 8 degrees Celsius, and I try not to do them over 30, where I have to, one, use air conditioning or heating, and the second is is that when batteries get down to, say, 10 below or 20 below, the, the range is immediately cut off by 40%. Like, you know, where you were getting, say, 355 on the highway before, you'd be lucky to get 240 at the very best. So, yeah, I guess with all those kind of parameters, rangefinder can take on a life of its own. I mean, you're just you've just begun this really, and you've only okay. done a half dozen vehicles. So, I think a lot of people should check it out on Driving.ca to to follow what you're finding with these vehicles, and especially with the number that are coming on, um, you're, you're going to have in your hands soon. So, I want to pivot away from rangefinder. Just a final thought here. Um, last week, the uh, federal government came up with some pretty ambitious. Some would say shocking numbers or at least a target that is 2035 the year 2035 all vehicles sold in canada have to be 100 percent uh zero emission or 100 percent clean i guess is 100 percent ev or whatever zero emission your thoughts on that well i i think one it was very obvious um it they were going to do it i mean quebec is already there i believe you in bc have some sort of policy as well i think it's a little later but uh but Canada is always planning on aligning itself with other nations that are going to 2035. We were sort of waiting, I think, for the Americans and Joe Biden to come up with their own pro official program and synchronize it with them as we do with so many automotive programs, but they weren't able to. The announcement by the uh, Liberal government was extremely vague on details. Um, basically, they said no more gas cars after 2035. And okay, um, but how are you going to do it? Uh, they said they would expand and strengthen the um, incentive program. I would say the biggest trouble we're going to have is that, um, as we know, maybe 25% of cars now in Canada are, are passenger cars. The rest are trucks and SUVs. And as we've seen by recent announcements, we, announcements the, the trucks especially, the pickups, use an inordinate amount of batteries. If 75% of our future electric vehicles, you know, 1.8 million of them in Canada, and, and if you include the States, you know, there's 17 million in, uh, in there. So for a total of 20 million uh, in, in North America in general, if 75% of those are going to be large SUVs and large pickup trucks with like 160 to 200 kilowatt hours of battery, we're going to present ourselves with another problem. We'll solve the carbon dioxide problem. Um, we'll be using so much more lithium, cobalt, uh, etc., 
that it's going to cause its own recycling problems. It's going to cause its own mining issues. I wrote about that most recently, as you remember, with a, a battle between a conservationist of uh, uh, and botanist versus a company that was trying to mine lithium in uh, Arizona. So there's go it's it's not going to be as simple as people believe. If if we want to if they want to get every vehicle to be uh, battery powered by 2035, and we want 75% of those cars and vehicles to be F-150s and GMC Hummer uh, SUVs, uh, it's going to cause some serious problems with um, with mining. And the other thing I would say, right now the International Energy Agency thinks that we'll need 40 times as much lithium to supply all those batteries and, uh, in 20 years as we do use now. Anybody thinks that the price of batteries are going to be, go down when the raw materials will need 40% of uh, more, uh, 40 times more material, um, doesn't understand the laws of supply and demand. In fact, lithium has already doubled price since January of this year. Much of our uh, hopefulness about EVs is that they will eventually reach price parity uh, because of economies of scale of production. But those same economies of scales are going to draw, draw, uh, drive the prices of raw materials up quite a bit. So, I'd say that one of the things we got to worry about going forward as we incentivize these programs and incentivize these larger trucks, if we do that, is that we're going to hurt that price parity because batteries, will, instead of becoming cheaper, will become more expensive. That would be my concern. That's David Booth, senior writer at Post Media Driving. Well, as expected... David wasn't short on opinion about the pros and cons of our ongoing journey down the electric highway. I'm sure some listeners consider his test speed of 125 kilometers an hour to be excessive, and in turn skewing the actual highway range of the electric vehicles he tests. Well, that's fair comment, but as David expressed when describing what he sets out to do with his rangefinder reviews, he's creating an apples-to-apples comparison of an electric vehicle to a gas-powered vehicle in terms of real-world expectations. People drive their ice-powered vehicles at speed on the major arteries in Ontario. So that's the speed he tests the EVs at. One final thought. David is absolutely right when he says questioning full-charge range for a city vehicle is a non-starter. With the vast majority of new EVs well above the 300-kilometer range mark, range anxiety is a thing of the past for urban dwellers and daily commuters. It is only when you venture onto an on-ramp for an extended trip that range becomes an issue. That's why the rangefinder concept is so relevant at this moment in time. That's it for this episode. Much thanks to my guest David Booth, producer extraordinaire Darm McWana, and you for joining me on another electrifying journey down the EV highway. We always welcome your comments and criticisms via email at pluggedin at postmedia.com. For your dose of all things automotive, be sure to check out driving.ca, where you'll find the best in breaking news, videos, and reviews. Check out the site's comparison tool for head-to-head shopping, and sign up for the Blind Spot newsletter, delivered to your inbox every Saturday morning, and featuring a roundup of the past week's most important and most entertaining automotive news. And finally, be sure to subscribe to Plugged In wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. That way you'll never miss an episode, and you'll also be able to listen to all the episodes from Seasons 1, 2, and 3.